right. Hi, Zoran. How are you? Urosh, nice to see you, my friend. I'm doing well. I, uh, it looks warmer where you are than where I am, but then, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a great, great uh, virtual background. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I like you're still there, but uh, wouldn't it be nice to be on this tennis court right now? I think this looks like it's sort of like the hills of LA. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking <laughs> thank you very much for your time and joining me today. And um, I really look forward to chatting with you and learning and finding out more about what you do as well as you know, how to unlock my peak performance. Hi. Yeah, I'm looking forward yeah. to chatting <laughs> and uh, doing some ideas with you. Awesome. So uh, tell me a little bit first, you know, what is it that you do day to day? And you're based out of Victoria, Canada, mm -hmm. is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So I'm based out of Victoria, uh, Victoria, Canada. What do, what do I do every day? So my, um, by, by trade and training, I'm a, I'm a mental performance specialist. Mm -hmm. So I work with individuals and groups uh, on culture and on individual mindset skills and performance. And so that ranges from a variety, like in a variety of sports. I've coached tennis for 10 years. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, so I understand uh, our sport very well. Uh, but I've also worked with other sports that I had no, I didn't knew very little about. So it's, it's very wide and then across a wide variety of ages as well. Yeah. Nice. And so, uh, is there a lot of individual sports or more team sports that you're dealing with? And, you know, how is it different dealing with someone that plays tennis one-on-one -on -one versus, you know, even doubles tennis or, or a team sport? Oh, for sure. So in the team sports, you have communication, which is really important. Uh, you have the, the team values and the, and the team culture essentially become the driving force for success, even in team doubles. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you look at a soccer team, you look at a rugby team, you look at a, a field hockey team, that communication uh, again is important, but it's also uh, how the, how do the players and coaches communicate off the field and uh, what are the values that they have? How are they behaving off the field? Do they have a group chat? Do they, do they play video games together? Uh, you know, so is that social aspect there? as opposed to uh, and then of course there's individual mental skills that each of those performers has uh, mm -hmm. that, that we work on and mm -hmm. then in, in individual sports it's essentially only the individual skills and then some work around how do I communicate with my coaches um, so for the individual skills which I'm sure we'll get into uh, there's the four C's uh, and we'll, mm -hmm. we'll dive into that a little bit more but that's that's essentially the difference man it's it's mm -hmm. a communication for sure yeah communication isn't that interesting how so much falls down onto that energy the you know the feelings that people have when they're on others and you know i think nowadays more so than ever before it's coming to the highlighting point where you know how do humans behave around other humans and and who you click with and who you don't click with mm -hmm. Huge. that's awesome that's good, good. so it sounds like no day for you is the same no, it's, it's quite <laughs> different. It'll be uh, client meetings, uh, team uh, webinars. It used to be workshops, uh, but with COVID, it's we've switched everything to, to virtual team webinars, coach development, coach virtual meetings, uh, you know, creating proposals for, for potential clients and then preparing speaking uh speaking engagements for, for conferences and, and groups. Yeah, that's awesome. And so you spend your time working with the teams the individuals, as well as the coaches, it sounds Absolutely. like. Absolutely. And, and ideally with the organization as well, because if I can okay. work with staff and have, 
some sort of uh, understanding what the strategic direction of the organization wants to go, we can make those mental skills fit into that. Right. Because awesome. that, that makes more makes more sense, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Where do you start there? Does it start with the individual? Let's say it's with a, with a team sport that you're doing. Does it start with the individual, then goes into the team, then the coach, then the organization, or or does it really matter? How do, yeah. you, how do you approach that? Good, good question. So um, it really depends on how I'm brought in. So if I'm brought in, let's say I'm working with an individual and they really like the work that I'm doing with them, they might tell their coaches, hey, we should bring this guy in to do some work with us. So in that case, it started with the individual. If I'm brought in and hired by the organization, my first, like my, one of my, basically my most important relationship, especially initially is the head coach. Do I have alignment with the head coach? Is there buy-in? Are we on the same page? Does he understand what I'm about? Can we communicate openly? And, uh, and, and then that trust begins to percolate. And then the head coach will, depending on their style, give me more or less freedom to, to talk about what I think would be important after doing a needs analysis. Or he'll come in and say, listen, here's what my team needs a session on. Boom, X, Y, Z. I know my team really well. Here's what they need. Um, does that make sense? So then yes, it's definitely. down to the, to the team and the coaching staff for, for implementing any sort of intervention and change mm-hmm. working, still working with the, with both. And as you're talking about this, the, the show Ted Lasso comes in mind. Did you watch it? I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> okay. That's the one, uh, with, um, what's his name from, uh, we're the Millers. Correct. Yes with him it's unbelievable and it touches on so many of those aspects and it's certainly been one of the highlights that i've sort of taken away from the last six months you know i couldn't stop watching it so it's uh i think it would you would quite enjoy it i'm gonna check that out uh, another yeah. you know make another, sure you watch it <laughs> yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna write it down right now ted lasso <laughs> amazon prime ted lasso uh, it's on apple plus apple plus apple plus apple yeah plus. yeah okay so um, talk to me a little bit about pressure. How do how do players or athletes or coaches as well deal with pressure? What are some things and some strategies that you found helpful? Cool. So let's let's define pressure first, just so we're all on the same page, your listeners and, and you and I. Pressure is the feeling of tightness, the feeling of uh, I can't do this. It has a mix of self talk. It has a mix of I'm imagining myself failing. It has a mix of self-doubt and pressure comes from a wide variety of things. We've all felt pressure. Pressure Mm -hmm. comes from tightness and tight situations. It comes from a a race against the clock. It comes from a tough score. It comes from, you know, in tennis, break points, tie breaks, closing out a set, starting out a set, uh, being behind, being in the lead. There's a lot of situations that can lead to pressure, big matches, important matches. A scout is watching me. It's the first time I'm starting as a college player. So as um, that's all the places that pressure comes from. Now, how do we deal with it? Well, there's there's a wide variety of skills that the players use. Uh, for me, it boils down to the four C's. And the four C's are confidence, composure, concentration, and control. So control is uh, about clarifying your actions. So it's about saying what's within my sphere of control. What do I not control? And let me distinguish that first. So sometimes mm-hmm. I've, I've worked with, uh, with tennis players, with juniors who 
get mad when uh, it gets windy and their toss is off and now the serves going long by a little bit or it's going into the net and it's something that they can't control. So focusing on the, that C of the control would be important for them. Uh, confidence. Confidence is all around mental and physical reps. So it's really about dialing into what am I seeing in my mind? How am I speaking to myself? What are the thoughts that are stuck on repeat for me? And the physical part of it, because we can't fake it till we make it. That's, that was, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I, there's a great TED talk on that body language. You, you do a little bit of uh, power posing and stuff and you have great results. That study could not be replicated. So it's, uh, it fell in the water. So the physical reps are actually putting in time serving. If I'm going to tell myself, I don't, you know, I have a high percentage of first serves or, or I don't double fault or I get every second serve in, I better be hitting the courts with a basket every day, like roundage. So, you know, that's the confidence composure. Composure is huge for pressure because what happens in pressure situations is players will get tight. Arm gets tight. Uh, mind is racing. There's all sorts of thoughts ping ponging around their heads. And so the composure skills are, are breathing using box breathing on the changeovers, doing one deep inhale, exhale, uh, and having that great routine between the points, you know, because um, there's basically three levels. We have, we have a, a, a blue, blue zone. We have a, red, a green zone and a red zone. And we want to try to be in the green zone, which is for tennis would be like 100 to 125 beats per minute in terms of heart rate. Mm -hmm. And so with pressure, pressure kicks us out of that. It kicks us into the red zone. So they did uh, research on, uh, on police officers in deadly encounters where they're faced with a, with a suspect who has a weapon, uh, a knife or a gun or something where, where their life is in danger. So what they noticed is that's pressure, right? Yes. So over in that red zone, their heart rate just spikes super high gets them into the red zone and so what happens is their motor control goes down like they can't shoot as well they can't defend themselves as well vision becomes narrow you don't see that peripheral vision anymore you don't mm -hmm. have that anymore uh, sound gets dampened so you don't hear how your opponent's hitting the ball how it's coming off their strings anymore what kind of spin how much rotations and so that's important and so having that breathing to bring bring ourselves into the green zone and then finally um we have the uh, concentration and concentration. Mm -hmm. So pressure is, um, pressure is a factory. It, it's this thought and feeling making factory it makes these thoughts and feelings that actually aren't really true. And what it does with making those feelings is it steals the most valuable resource from the player, from the coach, from the performer, and that's attention. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. having ways to manage attention, attention, having a focus plan, which I work on with my clients and athletes for how to reel it in and dial it in and what's going to stress you out and distract you during the match. And what are you going to do when that happens? That's, mm. that's important. So with your answer to, to, to that's pressure, great. it's those four skills in a nutshell. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And I can relate to so many of those things, you know, from a coaching, but also from a past playing experience as well. You know, I wore a heart rate monitor once and just to see, can I bring my heart rate back down before the next point begins? And I had no problem doing that at 15 love, 15 all, 30, 15, you know, but when it came to add out, add in mm -hmm. that pressure and all of a sudden, you know, I'm looking at my clock and it's going, you know, my heart rate is up, heart rate is up. And so it was interesting because I didn't think there was anything different 
but there obviously was something physically different happening, right? And so the next question for me is, is how do you make athletes aware that they are not hearing the sound of the ball? How do you make them realize, oh, you're not clearly thinking because you, you know, you're in that red zone, you, you know, and, and, and they, therefore you need to try to find ways of getting into the green zone because I'm sort of thinking it may just feel completely normal to them at that time, you know, except for maybe feeling a little bit of butterflies in their stomach. How do we build that awareness? There's a couple of different ways and you mentioned one of them and I've mm -hmm. used that with, with my clients is, is strapping them up with a heart rate monitor, having it up on a big uh, tablet so they can see it and having them place points. Yeah. Having them play some points and walk through their routine and nice. see what happens to heart rate. And some of that elevation is, is from physical stress, right? Because the body is undergoing a workload, but um, that's, that's one, one piece of it for sure. Becoming aware of it. The yes. other piece is through seeing video. There's mm -hmm. video is such a great teacher and all the great pros watch their matches and other players matches. But when you watch your own matches, you can really see how you're playing. How's your body language? Does it mm -hmm. look like you're tight? Is your head down? Is your shoulders tight? How are your strokes? Are they fluid? Are they smooth? Or are they tense? And uh, I'd say those two strategies are great. And, and, one of my greatest tools in my approach with athletes is, um, is definitely the conversations that we have. Mm -hmm. So it's about asking the right questions because the athlete ultimately knows and they're the expert on themselves. It's just about asking the right questions to uncover that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, uh, within that, within that four C's, where does expectation come into because I'm thinking, you know, quite often I would have anxiety of performance when there's an expectation, maybe true, maybe false of an expectation, potentially that I set or, you know, as a good junior, it would be my parents setting as an expectation or, you know, mm. willingly or unwillingly. But, you know, how, how does that fall into the four C's? Oh, the expectation is part of uh, confidence. Confidence. Okay. Because, right. When a player is overconfident, they're expecting to win really easily because mm -hmm. somebody else uh, isn't seated and because mm -hmm. they are, and maybe they've beaten them in the past. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the flip side of it is, oh, there's a seated player. You know, they're saying, in tennis, oh, somebody's seated. So they must be really good. And sometimes that's the case, but a lot of times that's, that doesn't have to mean very much. And so their confidence goes down because they're expecting this player to be really good. And that self-doubt starts hitting and that pressure, which I've talked about before hits in and the pressure factory starts mm -hmm. hijacking their emotions and, thoughts and one more question around pressure uh goal setting how important it is to set goals prior to a match and how they look like so that you put less pressure on yourself while still of course wanting to win goal setting how big is goal setting i'll, I'll put it this way <laughs> i'll put it this way every um every top athlete every top player has a yearly training plan and that yearly training plan is a, is a big a macro scale, a big, big um, goal. So that's what are you looking to do this year? What are the technical, tactical, mental, physical skills that you're going to develop? What's your downtime? What are your tournaments? Mm -hmm. When we boil that down to monthly, weekly, daily goals, match goals, practice goals, I mean, I'd say that's huge. Coming in with a practice intention and saying, here's the thing that I want to improve by 1% today my God, that's huge. Because if I make 
1% improvements every day for 365 days. I'm like 38, uh, 38% better by the end of the year. And that's a lot. That's Definitely. a big difference. And 1% isn't very much, is it? No. It's no. as simple as saying. It's manageable. It's manageable. It's manageable. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I get one more serve in out of 100 than I did yesterday. Mm-hmm. Today. And then 10 days later, that's 10 more serves. Yes. If that's, if that's your goal. Yeah. And and so I'd say it's it's huge with, awesome. uh, you know, having... Uh, pre pre-match uh sheet to fill in where where players set uh what are the goals for today technically tactically mm-hmm. mentally what are you looking to do and then after the fact thinking about the questions of how confident was i from one to mm-hmm. ten what were the parts where my confidence dipped how composed was i what are the things that ticked me off about this player how did they get under my skin what drove me crazy mm-hmm. so reflecting on that because that reflection built in as a daily habit and, and very regular um, practice can, uh, not can, but will uh, accelerate learning. And, and then, you know, accelerated learning means accelerated results. As right. Well. Exactly. That's good. Um, you know, in this day and age where we have so much stimulation, uh, you know, social media, phones, laptops, computers, you know, focus tends to drift and become less and less prolonged. So, you know, what are some tools that you can, that you utilize in your practice to help people sharpen their focus and have it be activated when they need it? Mm-hmm. Sharpening the focus. I love, I love <laughs> that sharpening the focus and have it be activated when people need it mm-hmm. for sure. One, I'd say the lowest hanging fruit in terms of performance uh, and focus falls into this. I'm going to tell you why is sleep. Sleep. Oh, man. Um, I've had, I'm just thinking of this one athlete who um, we're talking about recovery and we're talking about focus. And he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm going to get one of those massage guns and like you to use after training and after hard mm-hmm. sessions. And after mm-hmm. I'm like, wait, how, um, how much are you sleeping per night? Oh, six hours. Well, that, that gun, that massage gun isn't actually going to help you very much because you're not sleeping enough. That's where the recovery is. So with focus, sleep is definitely a big part of it. Uh, you know, it's around, um, it, it can help uh, maintain focus longer. It'll help learning and memories and, and thing and the immune system, which is important in today's times. Mm-hmm. The other mm-hmm. place uh, that that can be trained is, um, is, you know, being on the court. And when, when a coach is talking, just paying attention and literally you know, thoughts are going to ping pong to mind, but watching them in the eyes and listening to what they're saying. Mindfulness has gotten a lot of traction recently. There's lots of great apps out there that people can find. Also great uh, YouTube videos. Um, a personal favorite for me is called, um, there's Insight Timer and Breathing. It's literally called Breathing. And the, the reason I like them is because they don't have uh, like a, a guided voice that guides you the whole time. It has, you can have a voice or you can have a little bubble that you watch and, and it's sort of like training. Your you. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's good for focus because your attention will fade. That's just quite normal. And then it's about noticing when it's gone and then bringing it back to whatever the task at hand is, whether it's I'm bouncing the ball or whether it's I'm breathing. And uh, the more times we do that, the quicker we recognize it. And uh, so I'd say that's another way to train focus. There's other, you know, 
apps and tools out there that will claim to increase focus. Like, uh, but some of them aren't very science backed, which, which is tricky. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, I know at, um, um, a soccer team that I work with, a pro mm-hmm. soccer team there, um, they have this halftime routine of, uh, and actually before the, the, the match starts, they, the athletes have uh, some caffeine mm-hmm. and the caffeine helps them with, with focus. So, you know, coffee, it's not harmful. Uh, in a long match, it might be tricky because mm-hmm. uh, it's tough, but, you know, that's huge. And then uh, for sure, hydrating, like even a 1% dip in the body's water content will lead to mental impairments of like reduced mental focus, uh, reduced concentration, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So the better we take care of our body, it impacts our ability to focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. I mean, uh, you know, we've all had those sleepless nights and then we try to do something and all of a sudden you realize, oh, I, I you know, I mixed up the two numbers that I wrote down without <laughs> realizing, right? And that's sort of where it goes to. So yeah, having a good sleep goes sure. a long way. And don't get me wrong. I mean, a lot of Olympic medals and Grand Slams, Grand Slam titles are won on sleepless nights or on a poor night's sleep. Mm-hmm. That's that's absolutely the case but the thing is those athletes are sleeping well prior to that big event prior to that final in those two weeks before and even before coming into the competition look at the australian open now some athletes can't uh, they got a quarantine in their rooms right yeah. and uh, you're seeing all sorts of uh, uh training <laughs> training uh, exercises what are they doing in their rooms how mm-hmm. are they doing mm-hmm. shadow swings exercises mental training it's going to be a real test of focus, endurance, and and flexibility and adaptability. This mm-hmm. this all is open, I think. For sure, for sure. What do you think? And so, when you talk about focus, and so you know, I, if I'm understanding correctly, it's sort of your own ability to focus really well and pay attention to what matters. And then, in a in a doubles match, let's say you're playing doubles tennis, there's also the focus on your partner or your opponents. And so, often with performers we see the focus go to the opponents quite early and losing focus on you know themselves so you know how does someone balance the awareness and the focus on themselves versus having a focus on let's say a partner that's not feeling really well or or or, you know overanalyzing things and so forth um, or having that focus go too fast to the opponents Mm mm-hmm yeah, now we're talking about different uh, directions of focus. So okay. now the focus, it can be internal mm-hmm. uh, or it can be external. And external would be, I'm looking at my partner, I'm looking at the opponent, looking at the ball, the weather, the fans, the court, my mm-hmm. equipment. Um, and so there are times to have that sort of focus. Obviously, when you're about to hit a ball, you, you need to have that kind of focus. Knowing, taking care of our own needs is is huge and looking internally first and dealing with that uh, self-talk, self-doubt, whatever is going on internally, uh, to channel, you know, kind of, uh, wipe that and flush that away and, and channel into what, what we want to do. And then mm-hmm. for sure, if it's a doubles thing, it's a doubles game, looking at the opponent, um, sorry, not looking, yeah, at the opponent, looking, at looking at the partner and, yeah. and, uh, giving them a high five. I don't know if that's a thing during COVID, but you know, g- giving them a fist bump, squeezing their rackets, them to, cl- clicking rackets, whatever it means, man, ma- Mm-hmm. eye contact 
eye contact is very powerful. So make an eye contact, give them a little, little, little fist bump. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. think, uh, I think there is a space for that for sure. And just going back to your earlier question around what, what's the difference between individual and team sports? Well, l- let's look at doubles. I mean, mm-hmm. for, for team, like for doubles, it's uh, you have more tap more tactics arguably because because of the different formations you could do you do an eye formation you do two back you do serve and volley whatever it is mm-hmm. so being synchronized on that is huge mm-hmm. but it's also about commitment it's about being accountable to your teammate and and really putting in the work on your own that's going to benefit your team it's about clarity uh, so having those fierce conversations to say hey man when you do this in a match it really drives me crazy or hey this was really great what you did in the match um, then it's about the culture, which I mentioned, which is your, um, you know, behaviors, artifacts, rituals, and, and that they're aligned and team first. And then having the courage to be to be vulnerable enough to share and and to be open. And so that ultimately will those four will lead to connection. And and that connection is the strength and depth of your uh, of your relationship as a team. And it's mm-hmm. that uh, you know built with vul- vulnerability and trust. So. I'd say it's, it's massive. Mm-hmm. Just riffing off of your earlier question there. Yeah, no, no, it's good. It's great. And <laughs> you know, what came to mind is journaling. Is that something that you work with, with your athletes and how powerful is that of a tool? Yeah. So uh, if I don't use it, I can't talk about it. Right. I have two, uh, two journals here. And um, so, so regular journaling is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's no one way to do it. Um, but it is massive and as simple as like, I'd say the bare minimum would be after a practice training session or match thinking about what went well, what could have been better. That's it. No judgment, none of that. If you start with those two questions, you'll, you'll learn a lot about yourself. And then the gist of it is before you're on the court next time, review those two super quickly and try to do more of what you did well and try to do less of what you uh what could have been better try to change that yeah that what, is so simple yet powerful isn't it what's yeah. uh what's your take on it like you've is that mm-hmm. something you use with your your players yes um the challenge often that i find is getting um players to buy into the importance of it and that's why i even asked that question to you because it's you know us as coaches you know, I take notes for my students. I have them myself and then I send them to my students as well. So they have my perspective on it. And then I think it's really important for them to have their, in their own words, their language on, you know, how did I do today? Or what are some things that I worked on? What are some things I need to get better at? Mm-hmm. But also what we try to encourage people to do is journal their, you know, hydration and nutrition intake. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how is that energy level every single day as a result of the nutrition, hydration, and what I think I'm going to do because of how much you stress the importance of sleep, you know, rate that quality of sleep every day. Mm-hmm. Because if I see that, you know, in the, at the end of the month that one of my players has had, you know, a, a three out of 10 quality sleep for a few days in a row, then that adjusts my approach and how much I'm going to push them potentially. So I think it's uh, it's a very useful tool. Mm-hmm. I've, um, I've worked with the college team down in the States and what we implemented was, um, so they, they already had, they had this sort of like survey that players would fill in 
every mm-hmm. time they come to training and it was a Google form. So you just literally go in on the tablet and fill it in. And then what we added was a couple of questions around energy management and around, um, you know, around sleep, around mm-hmm. stress, because it was a student athletes in college. So mm-hmm. just uh, keeping an eye on some of those, some of those indicators and weeding out any red flags. And so that's, I mean, that's something that coaches, coaches can do for sure. And mm-hmm. might be as simple as uh, having a whiteboard uh, with, with players name, you know, names on it and, and have players rated or, or have, have them think about it. Like you can, uh, you can get people to reflect internally as well, you know, and yes, getting that buy-in around journaling is, is tough, especially for guys I've found right. because uh, they, they see it as, you know, as not, not a guy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you, when you bring in examples of, of NFL stars and, and soccer players and tennis players that actually do use journaling as, as a tool, that's, I'd say that that helps build that buy-in for sure. Right. And keeping it simple enough that someone can do that in a few minutes of their day. So it's, it's literally, you know, less than five minutes of your time a day mm-hmm. of keeping track of, you know, how did I do today overall? And, you know, mm-hmm. what went really well and what I could have done better after a match. It just allows you so much to learn and grow. For sure. I, I'd say, yeah, just and building that into the lesson, you know, mm-hmm. uh, instead of saying, when you go home, fill this in, I'd say, Hey, let's take uh, three minutes to reflect on what worked well for you in today's lesson and what could have been better. Mm-hmm. What did you learn about yourself? How was your confidence? It could be any number of questions. And then you as a coach do it as well. And when they see that, they model that behavior because you're, and you're okay, I'm going to do it as well because I, I'm also learning from you guys and I'm learning from doing things. And mm-hmm. Exactly. Because you do these little things inside of lessons or matches that just click and work really well. And sometimes it's just great to put that down. And, you know, I've heard a lot and I don't know what your take on that is that there's a huge connection between writing something down and, and really hitting a memory muscle in your brain. Massive. Yeah. 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 I know Tennis BC used to give out these player journals. Correct. I don't know. I don't know if they, that, I thought that was great. Yes. That was great. Yeah. For, for, I just, I thought that was very useful. It had a lot of good exercises in the back and I thought it was very underutilized. Right, right. Well, and, 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 you know, like we said, it's a hard sell. So if you model it and, and, and you also do see who has that buy-in and who does do the journaling, because mm-hmm. if you, if you do notice certain athletes doing it, it just gives you that confidence that they're doing the right things and potentially doing more and above what, uh, what the average does. And that will make them stand out. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> so, um, you know, how do you improve communication between two players let's say if they're playing doubles or within a team sport, you know, how's that verbal or nonverbal communication improve? As we all know, I mean, we always go back to communication and how did that feel? How did that, you know, look, how does a team get better at just communicating? Yeah, I'd say the first place to start is actually leaving the space open to have those real conversations Mm -hmm. to actually talk about the stuff that matters And if there's something that I'm not fond of, something I'm not liking about the way that my partner is training, uh, communicating, I have to communicate that. So I'd say that's the place to start is having those real questions and being like, hey, you know, how how was I as a partner today? How do you want me to support you on the Mm -hmm. court? 
do you want me to tell you things? Do you want me to tell you where to serve? Or do you, do you just want to do it and communicate it to me on uh, between points? So that I'd say that's massive. Um, understanding that there are different communication styles. Uh, so maybe taking one of those one of those inventories. Uh, there's like, I think it's called DISC, D-I-S-K. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a communication questionnaire that you can do oh. online. So knowing what my, what's my communication style, like some people are more introverted, some people are more extroverted. So just knowing that just because I'm not saying something, maybe it's not, maybe I do have something to add, but I'm just processing. So those are important. Um, and then, yeah, man, honestly, if, if people start there and if they I think if we interrogate reality together and look at uh, challenges on the court together, uh, by interrogating that reality, we can, we can get really far and, um, you know, realizing what we're pretending not to know. Like there might be things that I'm, I'm blatantly avoiding and yeah. I know that I'm avoiding them, uh, or conversations mm -hmm. I'm avoiding with you and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. let's have them. Mm -hmm. And that is becoming more incre increasingly more difficult in today's world. I feel like no one wants to have conflict. No one has, no one wishes to have that conversation that's going to hurt, that's going to potentially have us both struggling yeah. while we figure ourselves out. And I love how you used interrogate that. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, like you, you need to look at, you know, who you are and what you like and what I like on my end. And then how mm -hmm. can we make that better? Or how can we make sure that we are both performing at our very best as a mm -hmm. result of this conversation? For sure. And, and I mean, uh, questions as simple as, Hey, what's on your mind? Mm -hmm. And yeah. then getting a real answer on that too. Getting a real answer when somebody yeah. asks actually stepping out of our way to, to answer that. And um, you know, when just, if, if there's a challenge that you're seeing somebody's having or, or a problem, just asking mm -hmm. something as simple as what's the real challenge for you here? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a real challenge for you here in this situation and asking it in a way that's inviting and welcoming. Um, and then when the person gives you an answer, not taking that first answer at face value, because that's often not the, that's not the best answer. Mm -hmm. But then the follow-up question to that is, and what else? And what else? So asking that a couple of times, you get to the meat of it. Seriously, it's an, uh, um, taking off, uh, peeling an onion. Yeah. taking off the layers and eventually you get to the to the middle yeah very true mm. and you know i fell in love in tennis when i was young because it really challenged me and it, it uh, you know the growth is incredible that you go through when you're competing and putting yourself out there as a performer on the court and then i'm finding that you know a lot of these things that you're talking about that are relating to teamwork and communication and relationships on the court transfers back right to life. And, you know, whether it's your business relationships, your coworkers, your husband, wife, partner, whoever that you're dealing with, I think it, it's, it's such a transferable skill to life, isn't it? It is. It's those life skills and sport is a great vehicle for that. Right. If, if the coaches set it up, in that way and mm -hmm. I've had a lot of great coaches luckily that have and that have uh, used sport as a, as a great vehicle for teaching me those life skills and those mental mm -hmm. skills and and my approach mm -hmm. with clients is always yes we're working on these mental skills in your sport but 
let's look broadly. Let's look at if they're if they're a student. Let's look at how this can apply to your school and exam pressure. You know, let's look at how the, we can use this to set goals for your relationship outside of the sport. Um, so, I, you know, I'd say they're definitely related, and we can't look at them in isolation because we're we're a person that lives in those contexts, and uh, and and we we don't change very much like we we do but we're still the same person and um so with coaches i something that really struck a chord with me was hearing this phrase around work with the with the player underneath the jersey you're working with the player underneath the jersey because we're really not working with athletes we're We're working with people we're working with people first and if we can change the people they're going to be different as an athlete yeah yeah I love that saying, you know, we teach people tennis. We don't teach tennis to people. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? It's subtle. (laughs) (laughs) Subtle. (laughs) But, you know, we are dealing with people. And that's what strikes me. That's what gets me up every day when I work with someone on court is how fast can I figure out this human being in front of me and what triggers them, what motivates them, how are they learning how do they want to move forward? What are their insecurities? What are their fears? What are they, you know, are they able to let go or how can I motivate them to let go? You know, and, and the list goes on. So uh, yeah, we're working with people, right? And that's the beauty of it. Um, mindset, talk to me a little bit about mindset. Um, how important is mindset? And, you know, within matches, can that mindset change to a positive, to a negative? Often we see mindset sort of be a little bit on the negative side when someone's losing. How much of a driver is that for performance? Oh man, you have all the greats talking about how important mindset is. And they keep mentioning it over and over and over again. Uh, the more the more time goes on, I'd say mindset is massive for tennis. And tennis is, uh, is a very mental game. I don't know percentage-wise how much. If you ask coaches, if you ask players, they'd give you different numbers. I'd say at least, at le- I, I'd say the best way we can look at it is in training. Tennis is 90% physical and 10% mental. And then in competition, that flips. It's 90% mental and 10% physical. Because if you're not doing the mental well, and that mindset isn't right, you won't be able to execute. That's it. Nothing else no, oh, you can be the best in the world. And we've seen, <laughs> we've seen great players choke. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and so I'd say for that reason, it's important. Um, and it does fluctuate, as you mentioned, from positive to negative. Yeah, that's, that's quite normal. That is quite human for, for all emotions to come in, uh, for us to be challenged by different scenarios and situations on the court and not have dealt with them before. So to get nervous and, uh, and self-doubt to creep in. So it's, that's quite normal, but having those, uh, uh, call that um protective you know what i mean protective mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. circuits so that our brain doesn't short circuit so that we don't uh we don't go down that hole of of, of, of self-doubt and spiral that, that way but instead we say oh, okay yeah that's i see i see what you're trying to do do their mm-hmm. uh, self-talk i see okay cool welcome to the party thanks mm-hmm. and we, we reroute it i'd say that's um that's quite quite useful for sure. Nice. You mentioned earlier something that I want to ask you about, and you said um, 
confidence. You spoke about confidence and I had a, something in my mind to ask you about belief. And so uh, you said it was the physical repetition and the mental, what was it? If you um, remember. Um, confidence is a mental reps, mental and physical reps. Mental and physical reps. Okay. Yeah. So is that what builds that confidence and the mindset of performing well under pressure? For sure. That that's what builds it, builds it. And I, uh, confidence is really about, uh, it's this feeling of trust, uh, from believing in your own abilities and skill set. That's okay. what confidence is in a, in a nutshell. And the physical and mental reps is how, how it's built. Um, and, uh, you know, we get, we have a lot of thoughts per day. We have uh, 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. Uh, about four to 6,000 of those thoughts are conscious. Wow. So, right. So that's wow. <laughs> not, not, not a lot. Like 10 So you're saying about five to 10% is conscious. <laughs> yeah. Five to 10% are conscious. Wow. And so the trick is, can we be conscious of those conscious ones? And can we figure out what the unconscious ones are and what's stuck on repeat for me? Because mm -hmm. that is important for belief and confidence. Because that can I mess you myself, up. Huh? Is it Sorry, that can mess you up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Am I thinking of past failures the night before match? Or can I, when I think of that, can I think of the past successes and highlights? So, you know, having, that's why having video is huge. Mm -hmm. Having the video of the great points and the great successes, because sometimes it's hard to picture it, but going back to those moments and revisiting them the night before a match, the morning of a match is huge for confidence, man. And that's, that's the physical rep, uh, mm -hmm. the mental, mental reps. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we are in a situation currently, but, you know, regardless of what's going on in the outside world at times when we're trying to develop as a tennis player, can you build up the physical reps by shadow swinging, by imagery, by visualization? Are those tools that are useful and fully transferable to the tennis court once you are competing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You got it. So the the imagery or, or visualizing uh, as it's commonly called uh, and, and self-talk. So the, what we're saying to ourselves and what we're not saying to ourselves uh, are a piece of that mental reps. And then yeah, shadow swinging, shadow swinging is, is big for the physical rep side of things. And uh, have you read the talent code? I have a long time ago, but I have. Yes. Long ago. yes. So if you remember in the talent code, great book, by the way, by Dan yeah. Coyle. Um, Loved it. In that book, he goes to that Russian academy. Mm -hmm. the, was it the art academy or was it the tennis academy? Tennis academy. Tennis academy. Okay. Yeah. He goes to the tennis academy and this, uh, it was crazy. Like at the time of the writing of the book, that academy, which had two crappy courts that were shot down, like shoddy courts, mm -hmm. uh, had produced more top 10 players than all of the US. So that was kind of, that was crazy. Mm -hmm. And their approach, when you're talking about shadow swinging and, and, and um, we're talking about physical reps for three years, those kids did not touch a ball. I don't know if you remember that. That's unbelievable. They, I don't remember that detail. They did shadow rallies yeah. back and forth with each other in slow-mo. Slow-mo, I remember that's one thing that I'm really trying to, or have been incorporating into my teaching since that reading. You know, just the ability to slow down and to really process what you're doing at each phase of the swing. Yes, for sure. So it's, there's a reason why that was successful. Yeah, they had, they probably had really good players coming in. 
Yeah, right? that's it amazing. Was, yeah, but I think uh, I think that's that's massive for confidence. And you know when confidence gets threatened by change or by uncertainty, how do you deal with that? Because that's something that's very evident right now in the world. So we're living it day to day potentially, and uh, you know on court as well. You know you see someone that's hitting a certain forehand semi decent. And you're going, well, you know, here are some changes you want to make to that forehand so that three months from now, it's going to be a bigger weapon. However, that's going to mean that you're going to miss a few shots now. You, you know, you may not feel right at the start. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what are some ways of having people let go of that safety, that security of what I have right now to have more down the road? For sure. Yeah. And that's, that's hard, isn't it? It's um, hard. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, hey, why, why would I change? It's working right now. And, and what you're showing me isn't, isn't as good. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say a piece of it is for the people to buy into the vision and to the bigger picture of things, as you mentioned, Hey, three, four months, six months down the line. If you do this every week with me, you're going to have a great forehand. And if you put in time on your own, it's going to be in two months. You're going to have yeah. a, great forehand and uh, it's going to feel good. It's going to be technically better. You're not going to get as injured. You're going to be using less energy. You're going to be more accurate. Um, so yeah, I'd say that that comes to a growth mindset and mm -hmm. the two mindsets between the fixed and the growth mindset. I mean, the fixed mindset is I don't believe that I can get better. If I put in work, I believe that if I'm putting in more work, that's not a good thing intelligence and talent are fixed. That's the kind of beliefs a person with fixed mindset has. And then growth mindset is, I believe that if I put in the effort and work, I will improve at this skill. Uh, intelligence and talent are uh, developed. Mm -hmm. And and so I'd say just really toying around with that and, and demystifying what the person is and where they, they slide on that scale. Um, and then having that conversation with them around, hey, it seems like you're, you're you really don't believe that you can improve, and you know, you know, why is that, and and what can I do to, you know, to show you that that you can, and and think about past past experiences where you have improved. So, yeah, I'd say w w definitely confidence is going to go down. I mean, but um, I'd say it comes down to um, to really making sure that the level of challenge is is good for the person in the sense right. that it's a new technique, not having them hit, um, you know, right to the, to the corner right away, obviously. Yeah. So scaling yeah. it down to, okay, let's get it in the court. Let's get into half a court. Let's get into this. So little box. bites of progress so that they can yeah. somewhat manage it. Not too hard, not yeah. too, uh, not too easy. So yeah. having that just right, kind of like the three bears is yeah. uh, I think big, big for that confidence, <laughs> learning a new skill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And so tell me a little bit, you know, what are you doing these days as far as, uh, you know, challenging yourself? Uh, you know, I got an email earlier today that you're doing a new podcast and obviously, you know, it's, you obviously know what you're doing and I love our conversation today. Really enjoyed it. So really thank you for that. Uh, but, you know, please share with us, like, what are you doing right now? And, and what are some things that we can look forward to in 2021? Cool. So what am I doing right now? I'm doing, Continuing to do, do the work with individuals and teams. Yes. Uh, continuing to do speaking at different uh, organizations and, and and companies that that reach out, 
And in 2021, I'm going to continue working with, with mindset with individuals and, and teams. And I'm also uh, starting to get more into com- company and team culture mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. to start doing that work with consulting with companies, which is why uh, my podcast, Cultivate Your Culture, uh, is uh, I've started to release that. Uh, nice. So it's called Create Your Culture and it's available where? Cult- cultivate Your Culture. Cultivate Your Culture. Everywhere. Available everywhere. everywhere. Awesome. Yeah. and i'll make sure i mention that in the details of this podcast as well as the video and yeah zoran um it's it's been a real pleasure seeing you this way and chatting with you and i look forward to uh collaborating a lot more this year really and in the future time as well and hopefully you can um assist many of our followers and tennis players around the world and i really look forward to that you as well my friend see you um Yeah, let's let's do it again. See you soon. We'll talk soon.